0: Okay, so you're here for some great church leadership content. The podcast is great, but there's also another piece of content you need to be enjoying each week. It is the Leading Saints email newsletter. Now I get it. Email newsletters feel so 2006, you know? But it isn't as old fashioned as you might think. It's actually one of the most popular pieces of content that Leading Saints produces. Each week, I share a unique leadership thought that can only be found in the newsletter. I keep it short and sweet. Most can read it in less than five minutes. And then we share with you recent content you might have missed throwback episodes and leading saints events that happen more often than you might anticipate if you want to make sure you are on the email list simply visit leading slash 14 that's leading saints.org one four that will also get you 14 days access to our full library of content not available to the general public. So look for Leading Saints in your inbox by going to leadingsaints.org slash 14 or click the link in the show notes. Before we jump into the content of this episode, I kind of feel it's important that I introduce myself. Now, many of you have been around a long time. You're well familiar with my voice and uh, the, with Leading Saints as an organization, but if you're not, well, my name is Kurt Frankum, and I am the Executive Director of Leading Saints and the podcast host. Now, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead, and we do that through, well, content creation like this podcast and many other resources at LeadingSaints.org. And uh, we don't act like we have all the answers or uh, know exactly what a leader should do or not do, but we like to explore the concepts of leadership, the science of leadership, what people are researching about leadership, and see how we can apply them to a Latter-day Saint world. So here we go. Today, I'm in a downtown Salt Lake City with uh, two executive producers of the world-famous project called The Chosen, and that's uh, Brad Pello and Daryl Eaves. How are you two? Great.
1: Doing dandy today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Beautiful morning in Salt Lake. <laughs> yeah. Now, you two don't live here. You're down south in uh, Washington County, somewhere in, down there. That that's road.
1: right. Daryl lives in Hurricane. I'm in Tokerville, about five miles away. Nice. And uh, we love we love the winters down there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And you're up in Salt Lake in July, right? So it's maybe a little bit cooler, but... Um now uh, we originally Brad and you and I got connected and uh, I showed up here thinking I'd interview you and you said hey you know Daryl's in the other room why don't we he's an executive producer on this project let's bring him in and uh, Daryl whether you like it or not you're in front of a I microphone I got volunteered <laughs> that's <laughs> like the story of my life right <laughs> so Daryl maybe just give us uh, your background if people aren't familiar with you and some of the projects you worked on and then how you got involved with The Chosen as a especially as a Latter-day Saint
2: yeah for sure so um, I'm one of 10 kids and I think we're we're as Mormon as you can get. I know that we're not supposed to say the Mormon thing, but guess what? We're as Mormon yeah, as you okay, can get. Okay, all right. So, pretty much all my ancestors were baptized between 1830 and 1865. So they came across the plains, and um, my great great grandfather settled the area where I live uh, down in liverkin and um, so kind of grew up there, fell in love with it, um, related to half the town. <laughs> you know how that is—getting in sure. trouble all the time because everybody knows who you are. Um, but outside of that, it was just like um, finding—you know—pure joy was being surrounded by family for me, and um, really had a fascination with video. I really wanted to make Super Bowl commercials when I was a kid. Oh, really? Wow. And I just was on that quest, and so went through school, uh, got my degree in marketing and advertising, got a couple job offers in LA with some firms that create Super Bowl commercials, and a couple in Chicago and that was kind of the moment in my journey where my wife and i uh, made a a very big decision which was do we go follow our passions or dreams for a career or do we take a a step for our family and and for me i wanted my kids to grow up around grandma and grandpa and have their cousins be their best friends because that that was really really important to me and so we were at a pivotal point, what do we do? Um, and so uh, we, we decided to stay in Southern Utah and uh, forego uh, that dream, you know, of working with some big agency, world-class agency. So when you can't work for a world-class agency, you start your own agency. And that's what I did after, out of school. I just started my own agency and I uh, was doing a lot of working with local businesses, you know, helping them with their website. This is back 99, so we were doing website you know, getting some directories, because that was back in the day the directories were pretty big, and then some hosting companies that we owned and um basically built a digital empire um helping just mom and pops just capitalize on YouTube. What was or uh, on, on the internet. But what's funny though was a lot of these businesses only had dial up. <laughs> we're like, uh-huh. You gotta be on yeah. the internet, you gotta be it, you gotta have a <laughs> website. And they're like, What? what? Okay, but yeah, we're a little slow down in Southern Utah, but um, so that's kind of how it all started. And then for me, um, there a couple um, moments of clarity um, on on where I should go. One was in 2005. Um, I was on Craigslist because my company was expanding. We we're looking to be frugal, so we we're trying to get a free desk or something for the new, you know, workstation that we had to put up there. And I saw this ad for this brand new platform called YouTube and they were gonna give away uh, an iPod. And I'm like, okay, I'm all in. Because the iPods were about the size of a brick at that Mm -hmm, time, (laughs) but Steve Jobs just said, hey, there's just a brand new iPod, it's called iPen Nano, it's like, you know, pack of gum. And I'm like, I'm all in. So I went to this um, website called YouTube, didn't know what it was, and my jaw dropped. Um, Because that was the first time I was able to see you could hit play, and videos would actually play on the internet. They didn't have to buffer all the way to the end before they started to play. And then I saw this really cool tool, uh, this is in October 2005, that you could actually embed these videos on websites. And the first thing for me as an entrepreneur, I'm like, okay, this is an upsell. I can literally upsell every website that I've ever created and have them put a video um, on on their website. And so that happened for the next uh, 2005, 2006, and into 2007, we made 865 videos. Um, Got them all embedded on on for different the, companies. Yeah, just different companies, yeah, yeah. mom and okay. pop shops, you know, doctors, dentists, lawyers, all that fun stuff, and just kind of embedded on their websites. And somehow, magically, in 2007, when Google bought YouTube, um, that all those videos started to rank in Google search. So they'd outrank the websites that we actually had mm-hmm. put a lot of time, energy, effort to to do. And I'm like, okay, saw the opportunity with video. And for me, it was like, okay, let's let's go ahead and not do website design anymore or not do SEO anymore and just focus in on video and uh, YouTube. And you know, there's nobody really doing it. And this is kind of the the future. And I always had a love and passion for video, and that's where it started. And then later that year, um we were just doing exclusively video. I had a client um, of mine that says, "Hey, there's a company down in St. George." uh that are trying to sell pianos on online and they they need your help and so i went down met the owner of the piano store and he showed me a video that he made to you know show showcase his piano and they're trying to sell you know these yamaha you know grand pianos and my jaw dropped i was like that's like that's an amazing music video like yeah, yeah I, like how many i go how many pianos have you sold he's like zero <laughs> <I'm> like oh <laughs> man but then, the journey was, um over the next eighteen months was to see um, kind of my passion and love of what I'm really good at. Uh, I feel like um, God's given me a couple gifts that yeah. helps me accelerate in this in this area, which is, you know, seeing seeing a content creator create content and and seeing audiences love that content and and want to share it. And so, Uh, Over the next 18 months, uh, this small piano store that had 10,000 subscribers got to 1.8 million subscribers, about 230. Uh, million uh, video views. That's so the Piano Guys. If yeah. you've ever heard of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was actually on a. I was, I was speaking on a cruise last January with them, they oh, yeah. a, and they told that story because I've always always wondered why are they called the Piano Guys when there's a guy that plays the piano. the Piano Guys, but that's the name of the store, right? And so they kept that brand, and and now they're very successful because of those videos, right? Yeah, and so that's kind of
2: how it all started for me, and then that's when you have the serendipitous moment
0: mm-hmm.
2: was when I was a young kid I wanted to create Super Bowl commercials and you you want to figure out why like why do you, why did I want to do that well I wanted to actually create content that was funny and engaging that people talked about over weeks if not months and that was kind of my why I was like oh I see where that's at and then I realized that YouTube could be that vehicle to create content that um, could really elevate the world, bring joy into the world, bring light into the world. And, and then two, um, with that, um, I'm able to feel satisfied in the sense of, hey, people are talking about it, people are sharing. And so that's kind of where my journey began. And then outside of that, you know, I met this, a couple of producers down in California, um, and they, they had this uh, sketch comedy show on this, no name network called byu television and they're like hey we want to go on youtube and so i worked with studio c to get them you know kind of established and getting a rhythm and working with the complexities of the church <laughs> because it is it's, it's interesting let me tell you <laughs> i'm sure that I, and many other podcasts yeah, on, you, so you, it's, you it's, like literally <laughs> it, it was one of those things that i'm like okay i got i'm glad i have a testimony <laughs> of the truth of jesus but um But anyway i was able to see that and you know they got a couple couple billion video views and i literally was just bringing in content creators that i felt like could contribute and that god gave them specific gifts to give to the world and youtube was the platform and you know since then we did 87 billion video views on youtube and and like i I can't even count how many uh channels that we've taken over a million subscribers i know that 37 of them we started from just the idea and and implement it and go from there. So that's kind of how it all started for me. And then where it all weaves into the chosen is I own a conference where all these big YouTubers come in because they're like, hey, we want to learn about the business side of YouTube mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. And um, and I, I ha- had I always have a standing invitation that anyone that keynotes at one of my conferences can come for life. Like oh, you cool. know they can come for free for life if they ever want to come back. And um, one of the um, one of the uh, friends of mine that I worked on uh, with. Uh the largest live nativity i don't know if you oh, remember yeah, that. You saw that so i was a producer on that he was the other producer on that as well it was a piano guy's mormon tavern actually. yeah every fire, like, latter-day saint influencer exactly <laughs> <laughs> that was my job to get them all there <laughs> <this> <laughs> yeah. but anyway it was it was amazing and then that's kind of where i got to know him and then we did this little ad called the squatty potty pooping unicorn ad uh, yeah I was the executive producer with him as well, and so we were giving the case study the prior year at Vid Summit, you know, and he was the keynote. And um, and anyway, he asked to come back, um, and and then he told me no, he wasn't coming. And so I'm at the conference, I'm like, okay, that's weird. Um, and then I get this random text, and he says, um, "Is my ticket still good?" And I says, "Yes." And he goes, "Okay, I'm coming." And I says, "Okay, that's that's interesting." So he got on a plane in Provo, flew down to LA and um and he comes into this conference and here's like putting on a conference is pretty stressful you have thousands of people that's there and then you have big you know you know there as well and there's a lot of logistics that goes on and it's just a short amount of time to create an amazing experience so i my head's like going in a million i'm I'm in putting out fire mode right and here he comes up he's like hey daryl like i need to show you a video i'm like couldn't you just email me the video (laughs) And and this is Jeffrey Harmon, uh, who's one of the founders of Harmon Brothers and also Angel Studios. But and and I'm like, can't you just you know just email it to me? He goes, no, you need to see this. And I says, well, I'm kind of busy right now. Can't you see like <laughs> like this is like whatever? And and I went to walk away, and then the thought came to me. He just flew all the way from Provo to L.A. to want to show me a video. So the least I can do to go watch the video. And so I found a little room. Uh, we kind of went into this cubbyhole, and he pulled out um, what he was going to play the video on, and it was a nine-inch Chromebook. It was like the smallest Chromebook <laughs> in the history of all. It was the worst sound in the world. And and he says this, he goes, there's this creator that made this short film um, for his church, and I want you to watch it. You know, it's like 19 minutes or whatever. I said, I don't got 19 minutes, man. You know, but we sat down, and it was really good. It was Dallas Jenkins created this short film called The Shepherd. I think and, you can see it on YouTube still. Yeah, right? you can yeah. see that on YouTube and uh-huh. and in 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 the chosen app for sure. Yeah, but but anyway, it was this short film that he made, and I'm like, oh, this is actually good because like I I'm really like one of the things I love is great content, and there's certain elements of great content. I could see that it was extremely low budget. Like like he was like pulling miracles out of <laughs> some <laughs> of the stuff there. And and it was it really pulled me into the character, and I'm like, man, if he's able to pull me into that character this quick, you know, I'm like, what could he do with a bigger budget? What you know, what's going on? You know, and uh, we get to a point where you know I'm rooting for this shepherd that's the lowliest of the lows, like he's literally cast out, and in the sh- like in in the hierarchy of first century, uh, the lowest class citizen is a Samaritan shepherd <laughs> you would saying in in jerusalem uh-huh. um but what's even lower class than a shepherd in jerusalem and samaria, samaria and stuff like that would be the the lowest shepherd on the totem pole you know and so that was this guy and what i loved was his desire to to want to know about the messiah he just he he was looking for that that redemption he was looking for the the hope because like his life was in a very difficult position and he was wanting that and he wanted to learn and that's where he went into um the, the town and was ridiculed and ridiculed by the other shepherds, and then went into the synagogue. And this is kind of where it hit me was he just wanted to learn about Messiah and he was kicked out for being unclean. And um and they just kind of pushed aside, and you know, you could tell that he was crushed. And the moment that he took the step out, there was a a, a man and a wife that was looking for the well, because they just came a long distance to come pay taxes. And they you know the, the his uh pregnant uh, bride was was um um you know thirsty and he explained where the well was but then he realized he had water um on him and he just gave mary his water and that i mean like i'm like i don't know who thought of this that's so good but it just pulled you in it's like it was so symbolic yeah you know here he is giving water to the person that's going to give the everlasting water yeah um and so fast forward um, I know this is like the longest intro of all time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I'm but captivated. fast forward,
2: um, I says, I the knock came on the door and he says, Daryl, we need you. And I turned to Jeffrey, I says, I gotta go. He says, No, this is like the, not the best part. I says, I, I got enough of it. I go, I know where this is going. I know what this is about. I just want to be a, a part of it. Like even if I have to hold the light, you know, I'm uh-huh. I'm willing to be a <laughs> part of it. He says, Good. I want you to go meet Dallas this next week up in Provo. And so the following Monday, I flew up to Provo from LA, um, met with Dallas for the first time, and he shared his vision for a television show. And I felt like, wow, that's really great. And and, and the perspective was growing up um, in in our church culture, there were certain things that kind of always rubbed me wrong. And one of the things would be is um, sometimes we don't like to see the true nature of people, like the human side of nature. We like to like, oh, no, they're so great, you know, and you know and we don't get to see all the things and and this is like literally seeing broken people uh being called by jesus to to lead and you get to see these broken people transform but still struggle and i just love that and so anyway i called my wife up i says hey uh we're gonna be um investing in a tv show about jesus she says oh that's fine dear you know whatever <laughs> and uh dallas and i uh started the business that day we had zero money in the bank account and we had zero followers on social media but we had a really great idea and um we had a mechanism that's where angel studios came in and they had a mechanism to um you know go after the crowd uh which i've been doing audience development my whole career of just developing audiences and get them excited about this tv show and so we had a piece of content, which was the shepherd, that had impacted me and impacted Jeffrey, you know, and impacted uh, his brother Neil, and that that piece that Dallas made that brought light to his small congregation in Chicago was now bringing uh, people to be aware of a TV show, and we broke the all-time crowdfunding record in film and television um and then the next issue was trying to get people to watch
0: it but that's another story okay. for sure <laughs> and, and <laughs> but that's
2: that's my whole life story awesome. like,
0: that's it yeah yeah <laughs> and now we you're got. in the midst of recording season three and just about done and yeah so
2: yeah. it's it's yeah it's not, I think, it's, thankfully yeah. we have brad to help us pull <laughs> <Yeah>. this
0: off <laughs> so, awesome all right brad what about you how did you get involved in, in all this what's some of your background and and whatnot
1: Well, I I just learned that I also shared a passion as a young man for making TV commercials. I didn't know that about Daryl. But... I'm a little older than him, and so I happened to be a kid who had a, a a video system, and it was the only one in town. So even as a teenager, I was making commercials because I could. Um, but I, I I always wanted to kind of grow up to be in the media space. But after my mission, I um, it was it was the the heydays of the PC and everybody was crazy about, you know, the IBM PC and I uh, had kind of an entrepreneurial heart. And so I got involved in creating some tech companies over the next 10 to 15 years um, that, you know, kind of were defining in their own ways. And when I say involved, I consider myself always a co-founder or a member of the founding team. Um, and so first in, in the kind of search business, what today we think of as Google in, in the mid-80s, uh, together with other co-founders, created a company called Folio, which was a search engine uh, for CD-ROMs. And um, and we created the first searchable scriptures, um, and and uh, that was as a newly returned missionary exciting to be able to beat everyone at scripture chase. In in fact, um, and this was on a PC. This was like on a PC. Software. Yeah. So you take it to
0: church. Take it <laughs> on a PC to church. <laughs> <Funny. But> this <laughs> was this wasn't something that was yet sold sold at Desert Book or anything. I mean, no, no, was, no, yeah.
1: no. We in in fact, the challenge was we didn't
0: have hard drives yet, and oh, okay.
1: so everything was on a floppy. And so we had to we had to fit everything on one. In fact, funny story. Uh, we demonstrated this one day to some of the brethren. And, And uh, Elder Perry, no longer living, was going to speak at the Marriott Center. Um, They used to do Friday night 14 stake Firesides, and And he was going to be the speaker, and he said, I want to do a scripture chase with the students. Um, Can can we set up a computer at the podium, and I'll use your software, and I'll challenge anyone to a scripture (laughs) chase. And you have to appreciate we didn't have internet in those days. Most people didn't have a PC. And so he stood at the pulpit. And challenge students to come beat him in a scripture chase, and they would come up and you know'd say, "Name any word you want I'll, you yeah. know and we all thought this is an apostle; he has an amazing memory, <laughs> but he was actually searching on the computer anyway funny story um, and then and then uh, I was fortunate enough to just be involved in the very earliest days of ancestry. Uh, Paul Allen was the founder there with his his partner Dan, and they Paul's my brother-in-law, and so he invited me to kind of come use my operational experience to help get that going. wasn't there very long when I got a call from uh, the family who owned BookCraft, the LDS publishing company, and, and maybe many of your audience wouldn't even remember BookCraft, but BookCraft was, in its day, the publisher of most all of the Apostles, uh, Elder Packer, Elder Maxwell, um, McConkie, Mormon Doctrine was published by us. And then also we introduced the fiction space, you know, so, um, the work in the glory was, was a did big, tennis big, shoes big you know, I think we did. I don't <laughs> I mean, remember <laughs> actually. That it. was before my that, time. That's what though. I was reading in yeah, the early nineties. Yeah. That may be in Covenant. Um, but but uh, I ended up buying the company with Alan Ashton, a friend, and, uh, and as the new publisher, uh, this young, never been in the publishing world before, uh, my vision and Alan's vision was to see if we could, uh, with the advent of the internet, bring content to the worldwide church. LDS Publishing was always in English. Um it was always limited to bookstores and so and, and the bookstores, frankly, were mostly on, on the Wasatch front. There was, you know, if there was one in your area, it was near a temple. And and so we had this vision for being able to create a place, we called it LDS World, that was our domain, and a place where people could come and uh create community and consume content. Mm-hmm. And
0: so, and this was what you're about.
1: This would have been in the late 90s. Okay. So, so 90, the internet's
0: here, but yeah. it's uh, slow. Let it's it very key. slow.
1: <laughs> yep, yeah. yeah. In fact, ironically, I would say that the biggest challenge we had is... Um, Uh, the Internet was seen as a scary place. Mm. This is where you go to get porn, for example. In Mm. fact, I remember the early days of Ancestry, an analyst came back and said, uh, the number one use of the Internet is porn, and number two is family history. How did that happen? (laughs) You know? Um, So now at Bookcraft, we're saying really we should be spreading the gospel with this. We should be creating community with the internet, and and so the the blessing of kind of being involved in those early days was that we got to do a lot of firsts. You know, we. Um, the founders at Ancestry had also founded a company called Infobases, which was a collection of LDS content. So they had licensed all the Deseret Book products, the church news, and and so we uh, acquired Infobases as part of the Bookcraft deal, and, and we put all that up on the internet. So now you could search hundreds and hundreds of classical church publications and, and publish copyrighted books. And, uh, and then we, we, we gathered up all the old enzymes. We put them in boxes and we shipped them to China. And it, the, the process is called double-keying. There were no electronic versions of church magazines in those days. And so Chinese people who don't speak our language would literally look at the character on the page and find it on the keyboard and type it. And then someone else would retype that same page. And if they matched then it was committed to the, to the database. If it didn't match, they'd have to redo it till they both typed in the same letter. Anyway, long story short, those boxes of church magazines came back as floppy disks that contained all the church's magazines up until that point. And so we put those out there to be searched. Um, we began, uh, we got permission from Bonneville to broadcast the first general conference via the internet. Um, and then we started to create warden stake websites and, and, uh, you know, we, we had conversations with the brethren at the time, nothing officially, uh, was happening from the church around the internet. They had registered some domains, but there was no kind of place to go. And then one day we got a knock at the door, um, And a representative from the Office of the First Presidency came and they said, "Uh, we wonder if we could just acquire Bookcraft and everything you're doing in this electronic realm on the Internet. And so uh, that team became the genesis of what we know today as Mm LDS.org. Um, and uh, and I had an opportunity to kind of stick with the team if I wanted to. Uh, I chose not to. I, my dad worked for the church and had for years, and I wasn't my dad. I love my dad, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was a bit of a free spirit. And, yeah, yeah. and so um, it was at that point that that I said, you know, my as a kid, I wanted to be in media. And when I was at Bookcraft, I met a producer in Hollywood by the name of Jerry Mullen, and, and, and Jerry had not necessarily been active in his faith, but he had been raised as an, in an LDS home. And, and he said, well, let's go make some movies together. I'm gonna be retiring. He was Steven Spielberg's producer. Oh, wow. So he'd just come off winning an Oscar for Schindler's List. Um, and, and together with um, another LDS gentleman that worked there in the studio system, John Garbett, who now works for the church, Uh, the three of us went and produced a film called the legend of Johnny Lingo. uh, It was a remake of the old BYU uh film uh and, and successfully launched it with MGM and, and brought it to the world. And that kind of whetted my appetite for film and television. And so I went on other, other titles that uh, people might be familiar with forever strong, the story of, of Larry. Larry I've interviewed him on the podcast. Ah, Larry's a great friend. Um, uh, so that was, that was kind of my media experience and, and long story short now, and it turns out my introductions as long as yours, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I ended up in New York City and uh, one of my companies called i.tv was acquired by DirecTV based in New York City, brought me there and, and uh, I, I got involved in some projects that kind of melded technology and media together. Um, And and that drew the attention of Bonneville, the church-owned media company, to what I was doing. And they asked if I would come lead a new team that they were creating at Bonneville called Radiant. And Radiant's mission was to create media and content and influence uh, that wasn't necessarily religious, but it was all about bringing light into the world. And, And that's where I was when COVID hit and uh you know new york city in the early stages of COVID were not a friendly place and so we came to utah uh, where our grandchildren were and we wanted to just you know work remotely and spend time here and that's when i met daryl and dallas Um, they were searching for a a set to shoot season two and because of my work at, at bonneville i was aware of not only the existence of The Chosen set, but kind of how it was managed and decisions were made. And so I reached out to them uh, and uh, Dallas flew out. We, we met for the first time in my Jeep as we went out to Goshen, Utah. He's the <laughs> slowest driver in Utah. <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> but uh, but, but we, we hung out at Goshen for the first time, which is where we've been this week as well, filming season three. So that was my introduction. I've been uh, associated with The Chosen and Angel Studios for the last two years. Um, as an executive producer and now the president. So he gives me all the hard stuff to do. Um, but yeah, it's right. just a great team. We love being involved.
0: That's awesome. And as far as the story behind the Goshen set, like is there, was it as simple as maybe a few phone calls? I mean, is that something the church has is always there planned to do? simple in the church? <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hold back on that, don't you? <laughs> I love it. I'm not afraid to speak my mind. <laughs> That's, That's good. Sort of like That's a change, good. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I mean, was the church originally planning to let other production companies use the set, or was it a hard sell to so get that, down there? Um, the dedicatory prayer that
2: Elder Bednar gave over that uh-huh. was—he prayed for that. Um, they just didn't have the mechanism in place to make it happen. You gotcha. Know, you know, it took it took a lot of energy and effort. So um, we did a music video there <clears throat> with for the piano guys. Oh yeah. Um, that was the first, you know, external. But it was going back towards a Boncom Christmas, you know, uh, initiative. So it was like kind of one step outside of the church. But did you know that uh, Radiance first project was the largest?
1: I do know that. Okay, yeah. yeah. That, that was the Chris, very first.
2: Chris Carlson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was the very first yeah. one because it was like, we were um, getting it all together, and like how are we going to do this? So, foundation radiant—that's what it is. Yeah. Sherry's like, we got a, we got radiant foundation. It's like, okay, we're, we're right. going for it. You so got it started. That was the first. That was the first project. That was just funny. Nice. inside baseball. Sorry. No, you're fine. I mean, <laughs> but that's what you get on a podcast, right? <laughs> that's right.
0: That's right. And so um, I was going to ask about that. The um, and uh, well, let's let's sort of pivot back towards something you said, Daryl, as far as like. You wanted to create content that people talked about. So imagine we're in front of a, a room full of church leaders, bishops, Relief Society presidents, and, and my background. Obviously, I've created a content uh, production organization, right, They're with leading saints. And um, but I'm a marketing guy, and so I'm as I approach some of the, the past leadership callings I've had, I've seen them as I'm creating a content experience on Sunday that ideally people will talk about. So, any uh, you both been bishops? Uh, did, do, how did these principles manifest themselves, maybe in in that role, or or what advice would you give to leaders to say, we? How would you create a chosen like experience on Sunday? I,
2: I love that question for like on a very deep level, because one of the issues that I faced growing up was you know when I would go to church at the time in in my congregation, and in surrounding congregations, we didn't really talk a lot about. Jesus and I'm like huh and when I was in uh, a missionary um in Paraguay I remember taking you know investigators there and I'm like okay please don't go off the rails you know let's like let's talk of Christ let's rejoice in Christ let's preach of Christ let's proph- prophesy of Christ right and yet not not much talking about it and so I'm not one to like complain like like I'll just get get it done and uh the moment that I had uh, some significant leadership the first one was I was in the stake mission presidency when that was a thing. Um, it was like two months after my mission. Oh, cool. got, got put into that for a little bit. And then I was the elders quorum president after that. And just I had some leadership roles were there. But the biggest one was when I was in the bishopric. I was trying to convince the bishop that we really need to focus in on on Jesus and, and that every talk should be there. And it, like it would kind of be hit or miss because every bishop feels called to do certain things. And, you know, You know, there's a big age gap. I was still in my young 20s, and he was in his older 70s, and so it was like it was it was tough. Um, But as soon as I was made bishop, I was um, still in my 20s, and I vowed that every person that that um, got up in front of the congregation would talk of Christ, and every talk would be about Jesus Christ. And if they could not weave that in. They need to deepen their relationship with jesus a little bit more and and so we're very specific on how we extended um, the assignment to to speak and the intention um, we had uh, a sister that was really put off um because i'd asked her to speak about four times a year and she's like do you know there's other people in the ward that can do this right and i says I go, Sister Demel. I go. I got on my knees. I prayed what the what the ward needed. You came to mine, and here's your subject. Like I, I'm not going to <laughs> deny that. Like how am I supposed to deny that? Yeah. And she just had this very curt, um, pl- a plain, simple way of just. Getting through all the BS and just really talking about a relationship with Jesus, which is beautiful. Uh, well, later um, her husband became the state president, and I was his counselor, you oh, know, nice. in, yeah. in the state presidency. But that's kind of where it all started for me: is just being more than, hey, it's your turn to uh, assign, um, you know, the talks this this month, you know, who's going to do what, but be prayerful on how can we deepen the relationship of every person that walks into this congregation, member or non. walk away with a stronger desire to know jesus Mm -hmm. and that that became my quest and and for me that's what it's all about like everything else i i I work a lot with the youth and and youth is is my thing it it really is and i found that the way that we approach our youth um is wrong in some aspects i think culturally it's wrong i think it's um we have our own church culture of how we do it we try to shame them and and guilt them into doing things instead of saying, you know what? Let's strengthen your relationship with Jesus. First off, let's get your relationship with Jesus, yeah. and let's strengthen that. Because once you have it, you'll want to do all those things. You won't want to do the path that takes you away from that relationship that you could have. Yeah. And I, I think if ward councils and bishoprics and and the brothers and sisters, you know, in leadership positions and parents, if they will actively look at how can we just strengthen, and, you know. Everyone's relationship with jesus more. what What are the topics that that are keeping us um, from having a deeper relationship? And I think the biggest thing, um, and and over the course of serving as bishop for six and a half years and in the state presence for nine and a half, like I, I've been able to see a lot, but I think now I have a completely deeper Desire for that, I, you know. The more that I rub shoulders with other people that do have beautiful relationships with Jesus um, and with God, and and seeing, you know, their heart, and for me, that's what I think that the church needs more of. Yeah. I'm not saying that we're absent of that, um, but I think our focus isn't on uh, doing things instead of really focusing on a relationship. Yeah. And so, I think that's that would be the biggest advice. And I can tell you from the chosen, we're actively trying to uh, create content on social media and in the production that that can facilitate that for all levels, like for for young and old and have it be a multi-generational thing, because uh, truth is truth, and Jesus is Jesus. And I'm telling you when when people get to know who the real Jesus is, that's when everything just turns upside down for them, because then they realize, oh, I had these preconceived ideas of who Jesus was and is, that are not true, and now I know. And he's willing to forgive me. Yeah. He's willing to love me. You know, he's willing to just be patient with me, you know, as I struggle. And it makes the the atonement that much more important. And so, I think at the end of the day, um, um and and this is in defense of anyone that's listening to this podcast that have felt like, I gotta do what my priesthood leaders tell me to do, and I need to follow the handbook exactly what we need to do. And you know, you're you're very programmatic in your approach because that's the expectation of a leader in the church. And I'm all I'm saying is let's slow that down a little bit and think, how can we just develop a stronger relationship with Jesus? And if all we're doing that and then utilizing the resources the church have and realize that not every word, not every branch, not every group is the same, not every stake's the same, and we have unique issues. But the thing that isn't unique is the process of helping someone discover who Jesus really is and strengthening their relationships. And so it's creating those moments that people can look, look at and feel strength. And then once they have that, they're gonna want to share. And that's that's how transformation happens. And so I would say that's that's the advice that I have on on that, and I I don't think I would ever deviate from that. Um, just because I think there's a need in the world today, and especially, you know, here uh, in, in LDS culture, you know, there's just a need, and I think it's it's not a unique need just for us. You know, I think it's in other denominations too, and and especially this new generation coming up, they're thinking. Um, a little bit differently than than past generations, and and people are having a hard time communicating to them. And all they want is authenticity. They don't want anything to be like coated They don't want anything to be, you know, the blinds pulled over their eyes. Just tell them the way that it is. But if you show them the light, you show them the truth, you show them Jesus, they, I'm telling you, is they're the most amazing generation that ever walked the face of the earth. They're, they're wanting to. Um, they want to identify with something. They want to identify with a specific cause and they will mobilize. They will literally go and mobilize. We're seeing it all over the world right now. There's an identity issue that's happening in the world. Um, And the reason why is because people are trying to figure out who they are. And then two, there's a lot of mobilization for their causes of their identity and that's what's going on. Well, I want that identity to be sons and daughters of God with a deep relationship with Jesus. Because if they can get behind that, that's how we change the world. Yeah. You know, so true. But, it, but it's more, it's more the way that Jesus taught. Um, but, you know, they really want to mobilize. They really want to understand, you know, who they are and where they, where they fall into to, in line. And I think the most important thing is the, um, the essence of what they can do. And they can do things that no other generation um, can do, from my perspective. And so I think it's our utmost importance to, especially our kids, is to help them have that deep relationship with the true Jesus and not this um, Jesus that is stern, that's going to, you know, send them to hell, you know, but it's more a Jesus that is loving and understanding, and they understand the reason why they are the way they are and it's just more deepening even though that it's maybe not the the best that they're that they're that they that they are and they need to change but it's through his love and his grace that they can they can be a better version of them the best version of them you know and so i think that's the ultimate um um goal for leaders and parents is to help this rising generation
0: yeah so take me to like the nuts and bolts of that like because I think a lot of leaders will listen to be like, oh, well, we focus on Jesus. We're good, right? But maybe, I mean, maybe it looks different for them. So, like, when you're extending a chance to speak in church, like, how do you uh, encourage your, your that speaker to make sure that they stay on Jesus rather than, because maybe it's like, well, I want you to talk about temple work. And to me, that kind of feels, well, I think Jesus, you know, Jesus is in there somewhere. So, it's good to just talk about temple work, right? I mean, so... Or if there's like uh, real life examples of what it, what we think it looks like, but what it really looks like, any what comes to mind? Yeah.
2: So anyone that thinks that um, they talk of Christ in their congregation, just do it an analytical approach. That's what I did. So um, I just took a piece of paper. Anytime that somebody said Jesus, I did a scratch mark for one thing mm-hmm. of Jesus. Uh-huh. There's sometimes I had zero scratch marks on you know a three hour meeting back when we had three hour meetings, and so. Uh, for me, it was really important. Uh, the second thing is, um, and, and this will help. This will help answer the question that you just asked. But I do believe that setting the tone will create the ability for um, brothers and sisters to go and do. And let me kind of explain that. I noticed in fast and testimony meeting when when uh, in my ward at the time. That the children and the women dominated we'd have maybe one or two male uh you know uh, people that would bear their testimony and i thought do you know what we need to change this so i was a counselor in the bishopric and i talked to the bishop i says, hey you know we we need more of our, our priesthood strength testifying and and not let letting them just let everybody else go for it we got to figure out a way to do it and he came up with the idea of, and it was a beautiful idea. And um, this is when we had opening exercises of priesthood, just having um, one person bear their testimony at the beginning of our, you know, opening exercises of priesthood. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting, it it got people to hear, listen, and connect to people, and they could fill. And you had these powerhouses, people that had wealth of information, testifying the first time on a, you know, on the stand in years. You know and that bled over to sacrament meeting and as soon as sacrament meeting it was really interesting by the time i became bishop it was like 60 40 60 male 40 percent female and, and and children and then later on it was probably about 75 25 so we had to figure out okay how do we, we get, get, it back? get, get it back to about like 50 50 whatever but it, like setting the examples there and so um when when i say you know, they're might saying, hey, all these topics go back to Jesus. I'm just saying be more intentional of what you're asking. So, like, like for example, if you're talking about temple endowment, um, I would be very specific about the covenant path. What is the covenant path? How does the covenant path strengthen your relationship with Jesus? Um, you know, that is the topic, not going and doing temple work.
0: Yeah, you almost, like, take that topic yeah. and then attach at the end or your relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, Put Jesus this, at the end,
2: absolutely. But yeah. And, and and it's not just to do the filler. Um, and then you can't go over the phone and just say, okay, would you do this? And not even do it. You gotta give them a piece of paper and say, here's the topic, we prayerfully considered it, here's some some resources, there's other resources you can look at, um, but this is what we'd like to accomplish. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, um, I, I I know this seems like odd, but when i would call someone regardless of who who they were i would say i was perfectly considering it because i was and there are a few people in the congregation that come that need to be strengthened with this and when i prayed about who is the person that would be best to deliver this specific message i led to you so can we have a have a conversation does it does it you know does it resonate with you yeah, I love that. nine times out of 10, they're like, Oh my gosh. Yes. Like I literally would love to speak about this. I'm so passionate about this. Right. Yeah. I love that. Um, but the other, you know, um, <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't have, they're just, just afraid to get up in front of everybody, you know, uh, but they're still passionate about it and they're still going to do it. Um, and so th- having a directive of, of the why, and the who, you don't need to tell them specifically who it's impacting, but you can give examples of some of the things that are facing that will help them be a lot more prayerful as they approach this assignment. Yeah. And I think that needs to be done in callings too. And, and I think, Oh, I'm going to get on a soapbox, Brad. Oh, I, 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 I got to I, I get on a soapbox here. <laughs> Now's your chance. Oh <laughs> my gosh. No, but just because um, we feel inspired to call someone to a calling doesn't make it the right call for the individual. And I think that we need to stand up as members of the church. When we feel overloaded, I feel like we need to do a good job of informing the leadership. Hey, this is what's going on in my life. And I want to explain every little detail from there before you issue this call. Cause I want you to be aware of all this stuff you didn't know. Cause we're having this conversation now. And I, I would like to see that happen more because I think we get overloaded and, and compounded where um, we're not able to do the things that we need to do because we feel a sense of obligation, a sense of stewardship, and then a sense of living up to what it means to be in that position. And I, I believe, and this is what I've seen, and it might be different in, in the different parts of the world, but I've seen people hit their, their point of being asked to do everything and, and we're not distributing the work, you know, properly and they get burned out yeah. and they literally leave the church and they become very bitter, you know, and then I've seen others that just literally just disconnect completely, you know, and I think by having good conversations and talking about the why with them and having the people respond back with everything that's going on in their life you know, we still need to serve regardless, right? But it's just more, is that the correct place and time and the timing and sequencing in their life? Yeah. yeah
0: you know, and really I think helpful.
2: we need to be a lot more sensitive to that. But, uh, you know, as of late, you know, I think we're we're doing a better job. Um, I think um, there's less pressure to do all these things. Like, like, like I remember <laughs> sitting in priesthood leadership and they're like, you got to do all these things right here. I'm like, Wait a minute! Like we don't even have the manpower to do all these things. Yeah, yeah. Are they, well, Does everybody need like twenty callings? Yeah, yeah. Like, is that what going to go on? Um, and yes. have faith, you know. You D- know D- you- D- yeah, trust me. I, I've had that <laughs> lecture. I've heard that, I've right? heard that yeah. lecture a lot. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, but there's there's some beautiful uh, messages, and I'll, I'll share one. And I know this is long, and I know this it's a Brad Daryl you know conversation. Hey, well, but uh,
0: Brad, I've got Brad on deck here. You, okay. Guess, so,
2: <laughs> but I was I was in a priesthood leadership meeting where. Uh, you know about every 2 to 3 years you get to meet with a member of the Quorum of the 12 all the bishops do in a re- uh, you know uh, in your region and we were in a coordinating council we had two coordinating councils and we had elder rinland there and he wanted to shake every bishop's hand and every state. President members him for the meeting start. And, you know, he's, he's a great guy. And I've met him a couple times before. He
0: actually came to the meeting like that that I was at. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Good. And I so shook his hand. Yeah. You shook his <laughs> hand? Yeah.
2: He did the exact same thing? Yeah, same thing. He, he just does that. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> so um, it's a four-hour meeting. So two hours was uninterrupted him ranting about whatever he wanted to do, which was really great. Yeah. And I loved it. It was like the spirit was present and, you know, helping us uh, understand the nature of our call, the sanctity of our call, and so on. And then um, the last two hours was open up to Q and A, and I'm not afraid to ask questions. I'm not afraid <laughs> to talk. I don't care who they are. I don't care yeah, if it's yeah. profit. I mean, I'm respectful, right? Yeah. But there was something eating at me, and I wanted to have an answer to it. And then two, you know, I wanted to um really help members of our congregation. And so I raise my hand and he goes, President Eves. And I'm like, oh, you knew my name. He says, you shook my hand
1: like <laughs> three minutes ago.
2: Like <laughs> I mean, it was like two hours ago. But anyways, I stand up, and he says, what's your question? I says, hey, I go, all of us have the, the privilege to do these temple recommend interviews, you know, and um these temple recommend interviews are uh, very sacred, and you got to see just just amazing experiences. Just it's one of my things I look forward to every week. And I says I've been noticing a pattern of people feeling overprogrammed and people feeling um, over overburdened. You know, what advice would you give us? You know, to give them? Because I, I I would like to know. You know, what you're thinking and how we can um, um, help them in in this need. And so I go to sit down and he says, you can't sit down after that question. <laughs> i <Like>, oh man. <laughs> but then he gave me a beautiful story where he went to uh, Asia with uh, Elder Packer. And this is when he wasn't a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. He was in the presidency of the Seventy. And they were doing a temple uh, dedication um, and they are trying to get all prepped for that. And he said... Um, I was given the assignment by Elder Packer to go to this member of the 70 that was working in that area. And he didn't give me the name or anything like that. He just kind of kept it in, that, this, in this regard. And he says, and he, he, he needed to deliver a certain message to him. And I went to go deliver the message to him. And um, the message was this, uh, Elder, you don't have any faith. President Packer would like to talk to you about your faith tomorrow, you know, in the morning. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, wow. And he said that 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 seventy stewed all night, and he's like, "Who is? Why are they even saying that?" You know, I literally just stayed up forty-eight hours trying to get this all this stuff arranged for them for this temple dedication. I'm doing this, 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 and this, and here I am busting everything um, to make this happen. Saying I don't have faith. That's just that is just not that's not right. So he was even just huffy and puffy. So, Elder Lennon, and Elder Packer went and met with the, this uh, elder um, in in the morning, and says, "Well, did you get my message from Elder Menlin?" And he says, "Well, yes, I did, and I'm actually offended. You know, I I couldn't even believe you say that. Like, I, look, look, I've literally dedicated my life. I've like put my business life on hold to be a seventy. You know, like, what's? Why are you even thinking that?" And he goes, "Oh, my dear brother, this is the Lord's work. This is not your work." You need to have faith that the Lord will do all those things. You don't need to stay up for 48 hours doing all these things. You need to do your best and let God do the rest because it is his work, not yours, and have faith in that. Uh And he walked out. (laughs) It's like, wow. And he says, so, you know, tell me, what do you think about that? And I says, well, that tells me that we need to do the best that we can, but we don't need to do all that we think we need to do. We just need to do the best we can. And this is God's work. We need to have faith that that it's his work, and we're just assisting him in this work, and so it was a beautiful story. Um, I was able to share that experience a lot with members of um, you know of our congregation, our stake, and it helped them feel at ease to say no sometimes, and to feel like, oh, do you know what? This is probably not the best situation for me right now, you know. Um, and some like, and and I, and I feel really bad because like there's some members that will take four or five callings, and like, how can you do that to someone? You know, um, you're just really, you know, even they might seem small, they just add up. And, you know, my goal is just to, to look, hey, we all need to help build the work, that's what we're called. Like when we, when we go from discovering who Jesus is to become a follower of Jesus, but the moment that we become a disciple, we, we become his hands, we become his tool. You know, we, we become his to go out and do the things, and we need to be mindful of what that is, but in that same regard, we're not Jesus. <laughs> this is not our work. Yeah. We're here just called to assist. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a beautiful thing. And so I think, you know, even what we're doing here with the chosen and I, I think it's like we're assisting in our little way and we can do it uniquely. And and I think every word, every family can do it very uniquely, but they just need to give it a lot more priority of how do we actually have these conversations that impact people. Um, and we have discussions of what the
0: gospel is really about—not
2: yeah. not the organizational structure of the church, but what the gospel is really about.
0: And I love the episode, I believe it's season two where, I, I you know, the Christ isn't in the the series a lot, he's off like healing and praying with people. Yeah, yeah. And the, the disciples are bickering the whole episode. It and reminded me of
2: church ward council. I did.
0: <laughs> right, and then at the end, like Christ comes back and he's just exhausted about, and just going straight to bed, you know, yeah. and, and just that moment is is powerful. Well,
2: yeah. what, I, what I would love about that moment is, because they're like, look what we did and, you know, this is where I'm at and I'm better than this and whatever. And here Jesus is in Samaria healing through the day and into the night. And he comes back physically, spiritually, emotionally exhausted, you know, and everybody realized, Oh, <laughs>
0: yeah. Like the big picture. So yeah. Yeah. He's like, Oh, like <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. so
2: we need, we need more of those moments, you know, awesome. to, to wake up for awesome.
0: sure. All right, Brad, come back to you, Let's reset to the, my original question. I'm curious for your perspective is, is, you know, you are, you're creating content in the concept, you know, in the context of the chosen. So, like your approach to like how leaders can create content worth talking about. Anything you could, you could add or add on to what Daryl said or your own perspective there?
1: Sure. Uh, I'll just say amen to a lot of what he said, but I'll, I'll add another spin on this. And that is, I think leadership requires us to sur- to create the context for content to not just come from the podium, but to be experiential. You know, I, I think that one of the things that has been deepening in my life is the relational aspect of the Savior versus what I considered in decades past the transactional part of Jesus. So I think so often when someone gets up at the podium um, and and teaches the truth from a Jesus doctrinal perspective, we, we can only, well, not only, the best way, I believe, to incorporate that into our lives is, is to hear our own vocal cords talk and be a part of bringing the doctrine of Christ into the conversation. So we, there, there's, a, there's a time and a place for someone to stand at a podium or someone to stand in front of a classroom and teach doctrine. But I believe we frequently miss the next piece, which is the, the the gathering of saints is a community experience. It's not a social experience. I mean, we make it social, but, but the community of Christ, the body of Christ requires us, I believe, to experience him together. So I'll be practical for just a minute. Yeah. Um, just after um, the Come Follow Me program was introduced. My wife and I had returned from New York City uh, back in the Utah ward, and we know those can be big. And this was big enough that it needed to be split, um, but it, it couldn't be for whatever reason at the time. And so we were called to be the gospel doctrine teachers, and it, you know there was just no way everyone was going to fit in the Relief Society room. And I asked the the bishop would it be okay if we met in the cultural hall and he's like well that's going to be very impersonal i don't know how that's going to look i said well please just let us try something so in the cultural hall at the beginning of every gospel doctrine class we split everyone into nine groups and those nine groups sat in a circle and they had their own conversation about this week's come follow me and only in the last 15 minutes of class time did we turn our chairs together, and, and then we simply allowed people from the individual groups to speak into that week's topic. So it's the easiest gospel doctrine assignment I ever had yeah. because I prepared only as a participant Just enough to be able to facilitate the conversation. So those last 15 minutes were all about tying it together through the voices of these nine different groups. Yeah. And it was such a beautiful experience. And, and people would comment all the time that, that, that it was coming alive to them, the gospel. Because what happens in those groups when there's no kind of teacher is, is we sit there together and we say, well, this is what I read this week or I didn't read this week, but this is what I'm dealing with this week. And we kind of create context for the gospel. And I think that that's where Jesus becomes alive to us yeah. is wow. the context. And I think that's the beauty of what we're doing at The Chosen, because biblical narratives have been created throughout time. Our own church creates beautiful media that essentially quotes scripture. What did Jesus say? What was his setting? But what has been lacking up until now, and what we get with The Chosen, is participation, So, we get to watch these characters who are actually part of this Jesus journey, and we identify with them, you know. And and the most common comment we get from people about The Chosen is, A, it feels so real, and I can actually relate to Jesus, but, oh, I am Matthew. I see myself in Matthew, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, so and far. and and or pick the character. I'm a Mary. Yeah. And and in that, what people are saying is, I'm experiencing Jesus, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a leadership, we need to look for opportunities for people to experience it together as a body. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and again, not not taking anything away from our personal initiatives you know what we do at home in the privacy of our closet i'm I'm just saying that leaders need to facilitate that when we gather it it needn't be just review the doctrine and everyone occasionally might raise a hand let's make it an experience and we can do that every sunday
0: and i love that concept of like our goal is to get every buddy to speak of Jesus today, like with their own vocal cords, not just listen to what the other guy, oh, that was an interesting insight and make a note or even just sit there. Like, how can we get more people to speak of him? And that does a lot of the work of bringing people to Jesus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you another example. Um, Uh, Just this past Sunday, we released a documentary where we took nine Gen Zers and we exposed them to The Chosen. They would never seen it before. We asked them to come together and binge watch it.
0: And you sent me the link. This is a phenomenal documentary. It's phenomenal.
1: Interesting story. (sighs) This documentary was produced twice. Oh, really? You'll only hear the story here. The first time it was produced, they all watched, they all binged it on their own. We, we rented an Airbnb. We had 10 rooms with cameras and everyone was sent to their room to binge. And then they would come together at lunch and at dinner and uh, a facilitator would sit at the head of the table in the evening. It was around a fire pit and would facilitate a conversation around what they had just binged. We looked at the finished project and and... And, you know, I was there for the entire shoot, and the whole time I was watching this play out, I was like, yeah, it's interesting to see people laugh or cry or whatever as they watch the show, um, but they're not getting it. It's it's a passive experience. Mm. So... You know, we spent a bunch of money doing that and we said we're gonna spend money again, we're gonna do it all over. And Mm -hmm. we're gonna take the learnings from that first experience, and now it's gonna be different. And so the second time, we still recruited these people that knew nothing about the show.
2: Different group.
0: Different group, different 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 group. And all they knew is they were coming to to, it, to watch to a watch, popular show, we yeah. told them there's this popular show. And Some say I think it's Grey's Anatomy. Others <laughs> said like you know whatever. But. The
1: last thing they thought was that it was going to yeah. be a show about first century Jesus. <laughs> so um, so they came together and the, and the and and we said you know what they need to watch it together. It needs to be a shared experience. And and they there needs to be some relational trust built first. So the night before we asked them to go to dinner. We didn't go with them. The producers didn't go with them. We just said, go spend time together. And they arrived the next morning. They all knew each other's backstory. Mm. They came from all over the country and instead of being in their separate room now, they were in a, a makeshift communal living room and they watched the show together. There was no one to facilitate. When each episode was over, we just turned on the mics, the cameras were in the background, and they just had whatever conversation they wanted. Yeah, and and we would say the spirit did the rest. Now they may have not have identified as the spirit, but it was the spirit, because the spirit will witness of truth. We know that. And and even though this is a fictional story, and we're not saying at all that this that we're quoting the Bible here, we're just right. saying based on biblical events, we're creating a story around it, a narrative. And they're experiencing that. And they and, and people might, again, be critical of the chosen, sometimes say, you're playing my emotions. Well, first off, that is storytelling, emotion. Yeah. Uh, but, but more <laughs> importantly, the central character of the story is Jesus. We believe he's divine, the Messiah. And so we believe the Spirit will witness to people just by watching it. And then by creating an experience, it becomes a part of them. And so the story of this documentary is following these nine Gen Zers, not only as they watched it and hearing what they say, but what happened after? What was their journey? What impact did it have? And I'll tell you what, you know, we learned from that first experience a lesson that I, that I should have taken from my church experience from that gospel doctrine lesson. Um, but it's the same principle. It became part of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Getting that community together and experiencing it together totally shifted the dynamic, right? Yeah. And and that's another, you know, Daryl, you mentioned this as far as the concept of seeing broken people. Like that's what stood out to you when you first saw that Shepherd <clears throat> um film. And I think, you know, we hear this concept of like creating vulnerability at church and being real. And, and I think a lot of leaders resonate with that. And often they don't know, well, how do we, you know, how do you do that? We can't just say, well, be vulnerable, everybody, like, go ahead, right? But it's, it's all in the modeling. And One thing I learned from The Chosen is that you take these characters, and you let them model the vulnerability and the brokenness. And, and then we sort of put ourselves into these characters as they engage with Jesus. They're like, yes, that's, that's my Jesus, right? Like, I have one friend who refuses to watch any clip or anything with Jonathan, the guy who plays Christ, because he doesn't want him to see him outside the context of being, being Jesus, because he just, now I know how Jesus looks at me and looks at and heals and loves, right? And so, I mean, is it in, in part of your you know your testimony thing, you took the opening exercise this time, and you could do this at the beginning of Elders Quorum, Relief Society as well, and saying, we're going to have this man stand up, and he's going to bear a testimony. And what you're doing there is you're modeling to the group, this is how we do it, right? Anything to say on that as far as, how this show, you know, stimulates that re- realness, that how Christ approaches brokenness and allows us to be real?
2: Well, I think if we all realize that we're all broken, that makes us a little bit more humble um, for sure. but I, I want to give it this in context because I think this will help uh, from from this uh, analogy, this perspective. But look at the scriptures for what they are. And if you were to say, okay, who had the most pages in the Old Testament that wrote the most, that really uh, gave us the most content? Um, a lot of people would think it's Isaiah, but it's not. It's actually David. Mm. And in the New Testament, if you were to say, who wrote the most pages, who gave us the most content, outside of Jesus, because Jesus was that third person. He didn't write anything. Right. You know, he'd, it was definitely recorded from him. It would be Paul.
0: Yeah, that's where my mind went. Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh-huh. And then in the Book of Mormon, you have Alma the Younger. And in the church history, Doctrine and Covenants, you have Joseph Smith. What do all those you know, four people have in common? Yeah, they were both prophets, but they were human, and they made human mistakes. Incredibly flawed. Right? Yeah, people, <laughs> people need to realize that Jesus calls flawed people to, to lead their congregation. He just does. And if you can look at, at the approach and the love that Jesus had for those men, uh in that in that scenario, um, taking someone that's broken and, and trying to make them better. And they've made some pretty, pretty bad mistakes, you know, over the course of, of their of their lifetime. But the reality is that doesn't take away the, the truthfulness of what Jesus is trying to do. And it doesn't take away the truthfulness of what the gospel's all about. And I think that's the misconception is we don't need to be, you know, a perfect uh, you know, person. We just need to be striving to be better and and really finding them and so i think authenticity will actually come from being real Uh, i want to share one with you because it 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 rocked my world um it did i was a teenager and i was having um a struggle of knowing if the church was true or not and this this guy moved into our ward his name was brother ac um he um didn't know much about him my dad was the bishop at the time um, and called him to be the Sunday school teacher for the um, 15, 16 years olds. I was 13 at the time. However, everyone, every youth gravitated to his class. And other teachers would get really mad and trying to pull people out. But here's this guy, and he's he was in his uh 80s. He looked like Mr. Magoo, he's bald, <laughs> had a big old nose. And and they were just kind of gravitating toward him. Now the the beautiful um, thing that my dad did as the bishop was says, well, in this scenario, let's just go ahead and just have all the kids go. If they're going there, they're getting what they need. We'll just do it a little bit differently. And yeah. if the state tells us we're doing it wrong, then they can take it up with us at, at that time. But he personally had a relationship with Jesus and he was very authentic. He was very cautious of how he taught the youth. and He was very, very magnetic. And um, for me, I remember one lesson coming in, he goes, I wanna just show you about appearances and how your appearance can change and how you should never judge anyone that walks through that door of who their heart really is and how they're connected to Jesus. He goes, because it's all about Jesus, it's all about that love and passion for for our, our Savior and we just cannot be that judge jesus is the judge you know and he goes i'm going to show you something so he took off his suit coat and he always wore long sleeve white shirts had no idea why he rolled them up and he had he had two sleeves two tattoo sleeves that he got back in world war ii and he goes this this is it right here this is who i am and everyone's jaw just dropped and he goes. This doesn't define who I am. This doesn't define my relationship with Jesus. If you're judging me because of that, you don't know who Jesus really is. You know, Jesus found me. Jesus rescued me, and and he he helped me um, understand that with real life, we have real problems. We have problems and we have issues, and we're going to always fall short because we're human and we're we're broken. But he found that when you can strengthen your relationship with God, Jesus can help you overcome so much that you're facing each day. And so he took that that um, message. and um when he passed just a couple a uh, couple years after the fact, and El- um elder Ballard, President Ballard, was presiding um it was because he was good friends with him. And um, he just it was just a great, great man, you know, and we just need more men like brother ac we just need more men and women out there that are just saying this is the way it is not giving the false facade you know but literally sharing from their heart and then being real and i i do believe i do believe it's a mistake if anyone's not willing to say hey this is where i screwed up in my life and this is how i found god um that even if you skirt it and you put it behind something and you're not using that then i don't think that you're using the fullness of what you learn from that experience, and it could help so many other people. Yeah. You know, and I've seen people transform because of someone's transformation. You know, they, they hear of a transformation and they hear their struggles and journeys, and they're willing to take that step closer to Jesus. You know, and so that's, I think, you just we just need to be more disclosing. I don't think we need to. Um, brag, oh, I did this and this and this and this. That's not the point that I'm saying, but I think at very pitiful times, we can talk about how we were broken and how we found redemption um through Jesus Christ and I think if we could follow the example that brother a c gave to me when I was a young, young, vulnerable person, it helped It helped me um, and i want I want to give a lot of clarity because uh he really impacted my life. I had a grandfather that really impacted my life um, and and him. I would definitely put those two individuals on a very high plane. Cause at that time in my life, I believed in a God. I just didn't believe in the church. I just did. I, I, I knew I needed to, to, to be what my parents wanted me to be, but I just didn't, I didn't like Joseph Smith. I'll be honest with you, man. I, I read stuff. Um, whether it's true or false, doesn't matter. But like, I was confused why God would call this person to be a prophet, you know? And, um, what was beautiful was, um, these moments that I knew two men, um, and I, I would say three with my, my, my dad and my mom and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, the people that had really good relationships with Jesus. And that's, that was appealing to me. And I knew that there was God. I knew there was Jesus. I just didn't know if this was all true or not. Yeah. And so I, I didn't go down a super dark path, but I, every, every year I was always questioning, you know, um, is this true? Is it not? Um, but it, it led to, you know, getting on my knees and, and realizing that God calls imperfect people to serve. And I'm imperfect and And that doesn't take away from the truthfulness of it. And so, um, luckily, I was able to get a very strong testimony and and a deep relationship with jesus. and and it's helped me, you know throughout my life and you know my relationship with my wife and my kids, and you know, and and it's expanding. And I think the thing that we need to look at is just being true, being vulnerable, and being willing to share. you know, and I, I think a lot of us will hear, oh, you could share this moment. But sometimes it's embarrassing to share that moment. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, and but yet the thought came to your mind that you should share it, and we don't. You know, let's utilize it for for good. Yeah. You know, and I I just think we just need to be a little bit more transparent on it. And I think too, um, we need to do it in a way that doesn't um, say, "Oh, sin's good," because that's not right. that's not what it and what it's you about. Feel
0: this extra desire to get a tattoo after you, right. <laughs> you saw no, that? Right? right? Yeah, not
2: not even yeah. remotely close. Right. But I think the the big thing would be is what is the lesson, you know, and and how can you apply it? And I think, as we are more vulnerable and we're sharing, and I think this happens more, it should happen more the, on the family level, um and and then too, on the ward family level, just really helping people, you know, have um, a desire to know that we're not all perfect and we're all just trying to strive to be better as a group. Um, so there's a, A lady that's been coming to church with my wife and i and 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 her kids Um, she just got out of rehab and um she's been struggling uh, but she's just she just wants to learn she wants to know you know and um so we've been taking her to church every week and and um you could just see her countenance just just be a sponge you know for for the things that are there and it's just like She's, um, you know, still addicted to some things and stuff like that, but it's, be- it's beautiful to watch the transformation when someone really absorbs Jesus of their desires, you know, and to see her taking huge strides of life transformational moments. That stuff that's plagued her for years, just because her relationship's getting stronger with Jesus, yeah. and it's just beautiful. And we called her this week and says, "Hey, we're gonna pick you up." She's like. I'm already at church, like you're late. <laughs> yeah. yeah, five minutes, whatever. <laughs> you know, but it's just like this is good. This is yeah. what it's all about, you know. And and I know her story, um, even right now, is inspiring other people. She's inspiring people that that was in rehab with her of watching the chosen and going to church and start going on the path that they knew they should have gone on, you know, years before, but they just made Dumb decisions, you know, and I, I think that's what's beautiful. And I think, I think the world just needs um, to to realize that we're all broken, and we just need to go to the source of of the healing source, uh, which is Jesus, you know. Yeah. And and um, anyway, I I don't know. I'm really passionate about that, and I think f- we can do that in social media. I think we could do that all over the pulpit. I think we could do this in very private, uh, you know, firesides. And then um, it should be done in a in a very respectful way, but use it like Alma did and use it like Paul did, and use it like you know David did in in uh, scriptures to really emphasize a point and um, realize what we've what we have. And I know a lot of stuff that we've done and do will be for our you know posterity. Um, but I think a lot of it could be shared now.
0: Yeah, and what I learned from that is that we often make the mistake of showing people who maybe, appear as perfect as Jesus when in reality we need to model people who are broken and have a relationship with Jesus right? absolutely and and it's yeah. easy because we like oh, don't show your tattoos because then the youth you know whatever but that that imperfectness that brokenness and then seeing how he walked with Jesus was changed your life obviously. It, it
2: literally did and and I and I think too it's just like um the culture of the church we we create this false facade. Um, and, and I truly do believe this. I, I really do. It's just like, Oh, they're, they're, they're literally an apostle or they're a 70 and, um, I'll, I'll share this experience, um, too, but it's like, I met a 70 that rocked my world and I'm like, how in the heck uh, about swore right there, <laughs> how in the heck did he become a general authority? Right. Uh-huh. Cause it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't place two, two wits of how that would happen. But, you know, it, it's just like we put, that they, we think that just because they're called that they're perfect they you're perfect it out. Yeah. right but they're not mm-hmm. they're not they're just people right and i i went through i remember going to my stick presence is hey i had this interaction at on work with this general authority and i'm like i i you know i'm struggling with this one and he's just you know just be patient and he was very great he's like one of the best leaders i've ever worked with but so I just went back and was was praying about it. <laughs> I, I, this was like two months worth of agony, you know. Um, it's not like, like I should have that agony, but I was just like, yeah. This is, I'm just just the way that he was treating people was just so harsh, you know. And and so anyway, um, I remember the thought came to my mind every once in a while. I need a shark. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. I, I don't know if it was me. I don't know if it was God or whatever. But it's like, okay, if we're all tools, every once in a while, he needs someone that smells blood and will actually go and do <laughs> do some of the stuff that's there. So there we go. Yeah, God God yeah. uses us for who we are. Well, That's why
0: you know, reflecting back on the the series. I love the title of it, The Chosen, which, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but is in reference to the people C- that Christ chose, right? Yeah, He's so
2: broken, the, imperfect cho- yeah chosen of the Jews, uh, the chosen people, the Jews, and then also those, the disciples that he chose,
0: yeah. And, and we're seeing the story of Christ through their stories. Yeah. It's remarkable, right? Um, tell me about, and Brad, maybe you can start us off with the the interfaith effort that this has been. And, and you see, you know, Dallas Jenkins, the director you know, evangelical, great, incredible Christian. Um, there's a few uh, times he's had to get on YouTube and sort of talk why he, he's working with Latter-day Saints, right? But it's so beautiful to see it come together knowing that this interfaith effort is happening behind the scenes. So what have you learned just about that interfaith effort that maybe we could uh, do a better job at?
1: Sure. Well, I, what I've learned personally is that there's um, there's some some things that I now covet in the faith of my
0: friends. Holy envy. Holy I've envy. Seen. There yeah. you go.
1: Holy <laughs> envy. So um, I love the uh, the prayers of my evangelical brothers and sisters, the spontaneity of them, um, the fact that, you know, we're building a new set in Texas right now and I can be in a meeting with big burly construction guys and and we're stuck on an issue and they'll say, Let's pray, brothers, and, <laughs> and they Love just it. offer up their hearts, and um, and I know that um, they have commented as they've worked with Daryl and I that you know they they appreciate the work ethic of Latter Day Saints. They they appreciate the kind of clean living, what they would call clean living. They appreciate the fact that we we seem so affirmed you know, in our faith. Um, I think we all within the body of Christ, not just the covenant people, but the whole entire body of those who love Christ, espouse his name, see him as their savior. All those body parts have something to give each other. And it's so beautiful. Now, naturally, we're a persecuted people, we need to kind of get over that. I think this the, the, the kind of, this sense that, that we stand apart is true in the sense that we, as a covenant people and a temple going people, we have something that's unique. Now, it just so happens that that's a stewardship for us. The work is going to be done. The gathering of Israel is going to be done. Will it be done exclusively by Latter-day Saints? Absolutely not. We have, we have some keys that are going to bless the world and bless all of God's children. They're his keys, not ours. But we're all involved in the work of bringing people to Christ. And I'll tell you, I've never felt closer um, to a godly people than when I am with the broader community. Yes, I feel the spirit in my sacrament meeting. Yes, I am blessed by my temple experiences, But when I think of the body of Christ now, I'm experiencing it in just beautiful ways. 12,000 people gathered three weeks ago in Texas as we shot the Feeding of the 5,000. So many people wanted to be apart. We had to split it into three days because we couldn't fit 12,000 people on set. (laughs) Um, and, And as you watch them come... Latter-day Saints and Catholics and Jehovah's Witnesses and Messianic Jews and yes, evangelicals. And together they were singing together. There it was it was over a hundred degrees all three days. They're all helping each other out. It was just this beautiful brotherhood that we just have to be open to the fact that it's not only possible, it's happening. We're we're the ones that get in the way sometimes. We think to be a true brother, we have to offer them a Book of Mormon as soon as we meet them. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: You know, how many Book of Mormons have you given out on the set? Zero. Zero. I, I, I don't think that's what God's calling us to do, is to yeah. give Book of Mormons out on I, the I set. I want
2: to touch on something, because I know you and I have had conversations on this, Brad, but um, we do feel persecuted, and, and the history of the church, we have had a lot of persecution, uh, during that time we kind of circled the wagons right and we take care, take care of ourselves in fact we came all the way to mexico um, just to protect uh, our community just to protect the people that were coming in from all, all the outside forces right and then yeah. eventually it came into the united states but we literally fled to the rocky mountains because of that so my my ancestors did that as well and you know i had ancestors that were murdered um, because of the their faith you know and I think at the end of the day, we've had that mentality of let's just take care of our own and we'll go do the work for god and and we really um, sheltered ourselves and and alienated ourselves outside the the Christian community and so much so that uh, when we go and do uh, we're, we're very active in in our evangelism um, that we're seen as a threat, and so there's always counterbalances from yeah. there yeah. Um, but one thing that I can tell you, and this is what I know, and um, I, I think the gathering of Israel and bringing people to Jesus Christ is is different than what people assume that it is, um, because it's bringing the people to Jesus, and then they'll sort it out later. God, God will literally sort it out later, mm-hmm. and I can tell you, when Jesus comes and says, "This is the path." People are going to go on that path that have a relationship with Jesus, regardless of their, their religious background, including LDS. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And so I, I believe we just need to take a more active stance to bring more Jesus into the world, more into our lives, more into our community, um, and stop trying to capitalize on, we're the only people that have this. Well, bull crap. <laughs> you know What we have is our relationship with Jesus, and there's some beautiful relationships out there that are a lot stronger than ours. You know, And we need to collectively come together to gather. Um, we need to collectively help each other in in their their ministries in different ways uh, because that's impacting lives right now. And I, I think we just need to, um, I, I don't know, I, I just see it clearly in the sense that we just need to collaborate um, in helping. And then we all have our different segments, and we'll continue to do the temple work. We'll continue the things that will take you on the covenant path. That's great, right? But... I think the, the, the biggest thing is the heart. The heart needs to change. The heart needs to transform. And I think that's where we can come in. And I think it all comes back down to, you know, just getting out of the, the, the mode of fear and persecution and say, no, it's more about love and inclusion. You know, how can we do that? Because I, I see a day that, and it's coming, you know, that anyone that believes in Jesus Christ will be, um, you know, persecuted. And we need to gather together all aspects of people that believe in the faith it's happened in in scripture it's going to happen again you know and what we need to do is strengthen that strengthen our community strengthen our neighborhoods strengthen the interfaith efforts you know of making making sure that people can can literally uh worship jesus christ you know and i think that's i think that's something that we can't do alone as the church and i think even our priesthood uh general authority leaders and general auxiliary leaders, they do a great job leading the charge and they have great relationships out there. But it needs to be more than that. It needs to be every person, you know, developing and helping and and understanding and not thinking we're better than them by no means. Right. Um, but it's more about how can we help each other, you know. And I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I think Brad hit it on the head. Is I, I feel some of the strongest times I've ever felt the spirit is when it was multi-faith effort of bringing people to Jesus and, and being surrounded by people putting in their loaves and fishes, and I'm putting in my loaves and fishes, and we're all coming together doing something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. And that's what's beautiful. And, and I think we just need more of that. And if there's anything that The Chosen's doing um, outside of just impacting the viewer, it would be we're trying to inspire people to become better, you know, to be more bold to be like what the the disciples of old um, were very capable people but very incapable of of doing what they needed to do they had to to do it and that's what i love about season three is where jesus sends them off two by two and he says okay you saw what i taught you know you saw the miracles now you go and do and to see them go two by two Um, it's gonna be hard for a lot of people to say, wait a minute. (laughs) But I think that's what we need to do, is just to figure out how do we go serve in our area? But more importantly, how do we surround ourselves with people that are like-minded? And I think um, what's been fascinating was, um, from the beginning, when people would find out that I'm a member of the church, um, some people were very put off. um, And there was a a lot of flack that was going on. But as we talk about what Jesus taught, they're like, man, you really know the Bible. You like, you really know. I'm like, yeah, I'm actually a follower of Jesus, you know, <laughs> and and that's what that's what it's about, you know, it's just more getting past their misconceptions of what they think, you know, my my religious background is, but my the best way to do that is to show them my heart of where my heart is, yeah. um, because you can't dispute that. You know, and as we have those conversations, we find that we have brotherhood and sisterhood, and you know, we just we're really just this community. And I think the church, we as the church, as the whole, um, and we're talking members of the church, we need to look at the body of Christ as outside and bigger than what yeah. what we see it.
0: And and I love just the the chosen is such an example of if we come together as a Christian community, look at what we can do, like what we can create together. So any other interfaith perspectives or thoughts to add to that? Or does that sum it up for the most part?
2: We could go on. It could be its own podcast for that alone. I think you got two people that are more passionate about Christianity and, and the strengths and, and, you know, things that they're doing. It could be its own podcast, but I will say this. Um, I've met many people that I knew had a deep relationship with Jesus, and a lot of them were leaders of the church, and a lot of it was Brother AC and you know, my dad that, who's passed. Um, and there's been people that I just knew had a deep relationship. Um, over the course of this last four and a half years working on The Chosen, I've, let, I've met a lot more people that have a deep relationship and love and relationship with Jesus.
0: Mm. Love it. Anything else you'd add to that, Brad? Or?
1: You know, I think I would just, um, I I'd spend a lot of time with Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus. And I've experienced people coming up to him and, and calling him Jesus, right? And it's not like just a celebrity. and. Yeah. And, and I think what they're expressing, and I, Jonathan and I talk about this, in fact, we're doing another documentary, and this one is actually with Jonathan, where we travel the world with him, and he, he goes on a quest to kind of search out the impact Jesus has had around the world. But what I experienced on, on these travels with him is is that what people are really saying when they approach Jonathan Rumi, unlike approaching Brad Pitt or some other movie star, is you represent something that is impacting my heart. I know you're not Jesus. I we, we were actually in a coffee shop in Provo, and a woman came in and saw him and fell on her knees in front of him and, and said, I know you're not Jesus, but you represent Jesus to me, and when I got up this morning, I was headed to court to fight for custody for my children, and I prayed that I would know that you, God, are aware of my situation. Now, we've all had experiences where God calls us to be at intervention or at the right place at the right time, but what I think we're experiencing with The Chosen is is not celebrity-making. It's not hit-making around a show. It's the vicarious experience of being willing to relate to deity, be willing to invite him into our lives to see the messiness, because, as you pointed out earlier, we're seeing it in his disciples. We're seeing how he's interacting with it and how quick he is to forgive and to teach. And we're saying, if he's doing that for them, could he do that for me? And that's relational. And so to me, that's, that's the big impact here. It isn't that we've got a great actor who's playing Jesus better than anyone else. It's not that. It's the, it's the fact that people are being invited to maybe see themselves and to see Jesus in new and important ways,
2: yeah. and I think it's the writing of uh, very deliberate writing of devout followers um, that have that relationship with Jesus and and have gone to the lengths of really understanding Scripture and the the impact of individuals. And um, one of our our head writer um had some very dark times Mm. you know um and he found jesus through those dark times and so those surface and that's what connects it it really does and i think that's beautiful and it is relational It, it is it is so much and i think it's it's more like we're just a tv show we really are but if we can inspire people to get into the the bible get into the scriptures like that's that's what we're about if we're if we're inspiring them to get back to church that's what we're about uh you saw the documentary you know and you know, my when I had the idea of what would the impact be and how how would Gen Z accept it? You know, I was shocked actually um, to see how unfiltered they were and how broken they were too. We had no idea. Like some of these these stories were just in a in a very very deep vein, and those stories came out through what they saw through what was being taught or what was being displayed in the chosen you know and it was just they were connecting and they were seeing and they were like oh man this reminds me of this and they were having these conversations that i believe every family should watch you know with their kids and and have the active discussions you know on it and so um but i i like what brad said i i do believe that it's the relationship side of this and i think that um, you know, if it's inspiring new people to create content that can do the same thing, you know, that then we all win.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, Brad, you get to plug everything. Okay. So, if people want to see the show, if they've been living under a rock <laughs> for the last couple of years, where do they go to, to check it out? And then also this documentary that just… Sure. Sure. So, uh, there's an app.
1: It's both Android and Apple, uh, just called The Chosen. Uh, The Chosen is also on smart TVs, Roku, Apple TV, Fire Stick, etc. You can also find The Chosen on BYU TV. Um, You can find it on the Angel Studios app, our distributor. Uh, Also on Peacock and iTunes and Google. It's everywhere. It's it's in mainstream. Uh, It's it's in mainstream. And um, in terms of this documentary, you'll find it in The Chosen app. Uh, It's also on YouTube. Right for now, a limited time. For a limited though. time, yeah, yeah. that's right. So maybe by the time the podcast's out, it won't be on YouTube. So the the, the chosen app would be the best place to go to see all of this great yeah. content.
0: And then if, I was thinking as I was watching that documentary, uh, man, if you need an idea for a great youth activity night or you know, get everybody together and watch the journey of these people, how Christ impacts them. And there's, nobody came out and preached to them. There's no preaching, you know, you should really keep keep the commandments a little bit, but like they just watched, they just experienced a depiction of the Savior. And to see that change is just- I I would rather have
2: ward councils do it because it's like, okay, here's (laughs) here's what our youth are actually thinking. Yeah. Here's the situations that they're actually being, you know, impacted by.
0: Awesome. All right, last question, uh, and I'll start with you, Daryl, then you, Brad, is just your, your own personal heart and journey with Jesus Christ, like working on this project of The Chosen. How, how has that been enriched, that your, your relationship with Jesus Christ?
2: Um, it's impacted me on multiple levels. I think the first off is he's helped me realize I'm more broken than what I thought I was before <laughs> doing this. Um, and then two, um, I, I think the biggest thing is seeing him even more real than what I thought he was too. like, I, I had a lot of, uh, ideas of how it would be. And I even imagined how it'd be when Jesus was in his ministry, but this went deeper. Um, and just to even think of scenarios that could have happened uh, just really bring me to tears and really um, more appreciation for him. Because I'm nothing without him, literally nothing. And he's so forgiving. And I just wish the world would know, especially our youth and our members of how loving He really is. And um, I think this is the journey for the last four and a half years is just realized how patient He is and how loving He is and and how much my preconceived idea of who He is was
0: actually wrong. Awesome. Brad, how'd you respond? How's this uh, this project changed your relationship with with the Savior?
1: Well, since we're speaking to an audience of leaders, I'll just say that uh, as, as a young bishop, I remember looking in the mirror and saying, I, I'm not ready to be a bishop. I don't have the kind of relationship that a bishop should have with Jesus. I'm going to be asking people to do things on the basis of my mantle, but I myself am, am not measuring up and so relationally, my experience with Jesus as as that young bishop was was one of measurement. It was not one of acceptance. Meaning, um, it was I was still on a path to prove that I could do it, that I could be a great bishop all by myself. Um, yes, no, I needed the Lord, but he'd, he'd tell me what to do, and I'd just go do it. How'd that turn out for you? (laughs) He called me a second time, so I could try (laughs) again. Totally different the second time, but but I would say that um, the experience that I've had in journeying with Jesus now is is one where my prayers are not to increase my faith in Him. My prayer is to receive the love that He has for me. Because I believe that, that what had been my barrier as a young leader was that I knew the truth about me and I, I, I could accept the fact that he called me to be a leader because I, I'm a hard worker, I'm an effective administrator, I'm a good public speaker. I can do, 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 do those things. But I can't accept the fact that he unconditionally just accepts me right where I'm at without all of those things and especially as a leader, because we're supposed to have it all together. And I didn't have it all together. And when I was called as a bishop the second time, I still didn't have it all together. And then in a state presidency, I still didn't have it all together. And, and I'm willing to bet when you attend my funeral, because you're younger than me, <laughs> I will not have had it all together. But my journey is one of receiving His love, accepting His love, and the more I do, the more I experience what he offers others. Whether it was Enos or Alma the Younger or Paul, their hearts turned to others when they received the love of God in their life. And that's the journey I'm on. As I receive it, it's freely given to everyone
0: around me. Any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, to get on the email newsletter list, simply go to LeadingSaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us. By the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.